Welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. Business is a series of evolutions. This podcast explores how to stay relevant in the hearts and minds of the people you choose to serve. It will look for the lessons and the failures of the past and share the success of those getting it right today. What is the next evolution of your business? Now, here's your host, Dave Clare. Welcome to another episode of the Evolution of Business show. I'm your host, as always, Dave Clare. And today, in season two, we have none other than Dawn Kirk. Now, Dawn is an amazing human being. She lives with her husband of 26 years, Tony Kirk, and their two teenage sons, Kendall and Christopher, near Atlanta, Georgia. She's actively involved in her church and contributes as a member of the church board. Successful people always talk about their family first, which is why I wanted to share that. Um, Dawn has coached, trained, and developed more than 10,000 associates in Fortune 100 companies using her heartbeat leadership method. And I'm sure we're gonna explore a bit of that tonight too. Um, she spent over 26 years working with number one consumer packaged good companies across sales, finance, marketing, operations, national accounts, and commercial sectors. For 16 of those years, she held senior executive positions with Frito-Lay, PepsiCo, and the Coca-Cola company, leading teams as large as 5,000 employees through organizational growth, transformations, and transitions. She has earned numerous awards, including Georgia's 100 Most Powerful and Influential Women, and was inducted into the VIP Woman of the Year Circle by the National Association of Professional Women. Dawn created the Best You for Life to help corporate executives and their organizations take a people-first approach to unleash untapped potential and translate strategy into best-in-class execution. Dawn believes that, there are, that people are the heartbeat of every business, and no matter what the problem is, it can be solved by and through people. It is an absolute pleasure to have none other than Dawn Kirk, author of the upcoming book. I think it might have just been released, I think, uh, Heartbeat Leadership, Dawn. Welcome to the Evolution of Business show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Dave. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Yes. Yeah, so good morning for you. Good evening for us here. Um, yeah, it's crazy. What a world we live in where a Canadian in Australia gets to interview an American author, leader, coach. Uh, it's just, it's a fantastic world we're living in today. So Dawn, um, you know, that is quite fascinating actually, because you actually, uh, someone sent out, a, a, I received an email that said, uh, this amazing human being is looking to get on some podcasts. And I had a look at it and went through your stuff. I'm like, holy crap, I have to get Dawn on my show. Um, and, uh, and here we are. And, uh, yeah, so welcome and glad to have you here. That like, usually most people I've either spoken with or known or, um, there, but you are probably the first guest I've had that I have no clue who you were until an email came through about a week and a half to two weeks ago. So this is exciting. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, because I'm actually looking forward to learning a lot more about you. Now, um, give you a quick chance here because like your, your book, Heartbeat Leadership is just, uh, it was October 27th, I think it launched. Is yes, that October 27th. That's correct. Yeah. So this is exciting. So is this your first book? Yes, it is. I wrote a, a chapter in a previous book as a collaborative piece, but this is my <laughs> first solo book. So I am extremely excited. Yeah, so that, uh, yeah, I, I, myself, I wrote my first book uh, and then I've collaborated in three others since. Um, okay. But yeah, how did you find writing your own book? It was, it was actually a lot of fun. It was a lot of work at the same yes. time. 
<laughs> but um, now that it's actually done, it's a, a huge sigh of relief. And now I get to really have some fun, you know, promoting it and you yeah. know, sharing the message with more people. And um, I'm, I'm really excited. So a quick question before we get into all the, the other stuff and you start telling your life story, which I'm fascinated to learn, is what, what, why did you decide to write the book? Uh, I decided to write the book for a couple of reasons. Number one, in the beginning, I had a lot of colleagues and friends always saying, when are you going to write a book? Like you're so passionate about leadership. You're always willing to teach and share, you know, in order for you to reach more people, you got to write a book. So that was kind of the push initially, because I really had not thought about doing a book historically, yeah. to be quite honest. And then secondarily, you know, after just kind of observing a lot, I really thought it was, I was really passionate about making sure that we reframe what leadership is all about. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we've become such a me society that, you know, the essence of leadership is getting lost sometime with selfish motives and that leadership at the end of the day is about other people and serving. Um, and that's been my experience in the way that I've led throughout my entire career. So I really wanted to help reframe this leadership picture, particularly for those younger generations coming up behind us. Yeah, that's uh, that's so so awesome. Um, gosh, like you you you. I felt like it was just me talking when you were saying that because I said the exact same. Like leadership's all about other people, helping other people become the best that they can be. I mean, don't you believe that leadership in the world today is sort of broken, and that most of what we call leadership is just modern management practices, and we're just so far removed from the pure essence of leadership. Absolutely, absolutely. It's about people working for you. It's about how can how can I get ahead and how can what my motives are, not necessarily what's in the best interest of those around me. So yeah. absolutely want to restore this focus. Yes. So so how did you get from where you are today, from where you were then today? Give, please take a 10-minute journey on on how Don Kirk became the infamous author of the best-selling, soon-to-be best-selling book, Heartbeat Leadership. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of like, how far back should I go? But I'll just oh. give you context. I'll just give you context. So Please. a little bit about myself. Um, so I was born in Alabama and I was raised in the state of Iowa. And many times people go, Iowa, you know, I've really not met anybody from Iowa before, but my dad worked for John Deere. And if you know anything about the Midwest, you know, it's huge John Deere country. So yes. I grew up, um, you know, around entrepreneurship. My dad owned some businesses um, as I was growing up and was also in corporate as well as a mechanical engineer. And I discovered early that I like to do a lot of different things. So I'm a huge learner, get excited about learning new things. So I grew up playing music. I played violin and flute in the orchestra wow. and the band my entire um, childhood. I also was an athlete. So I played basketball and I ran track. So I think those wow. things early on, and I didn't recognize it as leadership at that time, but I think those were my first introductions to leadership and learning how to operate within a team environment. Um, you know, playing violin, playing in the band, being on a track team, being on a basketball team. Um, I was always very involved in organizations coming up, you know, was, did a little bit of student government and, you know, different organizations and then always was very active in my church as well. So I think that was the foundation of kind of leadership and learning to learn to love growing and learn to love learning. 
Um, yeah. And then I uh, obviously went to college and went, I actually have a degree in accounting, if you can believe that. So I always had this love of numbers. And I remember in high school taking this, um, what I thought was an accounting class, but when it's all said and done, it was a bookkeeping class, which is very different. So I ended up in college with this accounting major and then soon realizing that, oh, you know what? I don't think I really like this accounting thing, but I've always been brought up that once you start something, you should finish it. And so that's kind of always stuck with me. So I said, well, I've already chosen this degree, so I kind of need to make the best of it. But what I started to do was explore other things I was really passionate about. So all through college, I worked. So I worked in, you know, the cafeteria was my first job. You know, I worked at a hotel front desk clerk. I was an RA. I did our orientation advisor role in college. All were leadership type of roles. Again, not understanding that this was really my passion. Mm. Um, ended up um, joining corporate America, uh, got introduced to Frito-Lay through an internship in college. And the way that I selected the internship, you're going to going to laugh is because I was going through the book at the orientation office. And I was like, who's paying the most money this summer? And I was just flipping and I was flipping and flipping and I ran across Frito-Lay. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're paying a lot of money. Had no idea who Frito-Lay was, didn't know anything about it, but I said, I'm going to apply for this job. So I applied for it and interned with Frito-Lay that summer and absolutely loved it, was in sales. The next summer I interned with um, uh, Amico in an accounting type of role. So quickly I discovered the two dichotomies between a sales career and sitting at a desk and, and doing numbers and discovered that, you know what? I don't wanna go this numbers route. So I had two resumes coming out of college, one for accounting and one for sales. And I was like, I'll see which one kind of pans out. Yeah. And um, ended up joining Frito-Lay full-time um, coming out of college in their sales management program. Um, and I remember when I got to Frito-Lay, I started looking at kind of the career path. I started goal setting at the age of seven, if you can believe that. Wow. And, um, and I, again, didn't recognize it as goal setting, you know, that pure. But I remember my dad used to take us roller skating every Tuesday night. And I remember um, setting a goal that I wanted to track how many times I fell each week. So I can still see this in my mind today. I had this uh, cardboard, you know, uh, piece of paper on my wall and I drew lines and I said, you know, every Tuesday across the top and how many times I fell. And each week my goal was to fall one less time than I did the previous week. And so I, and I, I don't know why I so vividly remember this process. But as I reflect back, I'm like, wow, I really started goal setting and, you know, visioning, you know, a better place for things very early on. So fast forward, I'm back at Frito-Lay. I set my goal day one that I wanted to be the zone sales leader. It was the first executive role um, at Frito-Lay. So I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to continue to progress and get to that, that specific job. It took me 10 years to get there, but I got yep. there. Um, so I worked at Frito-Lay for 18 and a half. Yeah, I worked at Frito-Lay for 18 and a half years, a variety of different roles in sales and finance and marketing. Again, my passion was about learning as much as I possibly could. I felt like learning allowed me to add more value. So I didn't focus on promotions per se. I focused on learning and throughout that process mm -hmm. of learning and also helping other people be their best. Yeah. I progressed through the organization at the same time. So about every 18 months or so, I was in a different position. After about 18 and a half years, 
it was just time to do something else came a little disengaged with where I was and had the opportunity to join the Coca-Cola team. And initially I was like, are you crazy? I'm not joining Coca-Cola after working for Frito-Lay, which is a division of PepsiCo for 18 and a half years. But I fell in love with the passion and where the company was going at the time. So I joined the team and spent almost eight years there as well. And um, that'd be almost like always had an army, wouldn't it? It, it really was. It really was. But I worked for the chip side of the business of PepsiCo. Okay. I never worked on the beverage side, but still it was related. It was closely related. Yeah. Um, and then I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. My first business was a um, lawn mowing business at the age of 12. My dad would load up the lawnmower in the back of the truck and let me go around and mow people's lawns. Um, I taught private violin lessons as a junior in high school wow. to elementary school to kids. Um, my dad owned apartments, so I worked with him to clean them up and get them ready for new tenants um, and learned how to repair things. So entrepreneurship kind of ran in my blood. So I knew at some point that I would want to work for myself. Yep. And so that opportunity came about almost three years ago. And I decided to take the leap into my own business and follow my passion, which was coaching, teaching, developing um, people. So yeah. that's kind of how I arrived here today. Wow. That's a... What a story! The um, you know, it's funny when you talk about violin and the band and the flute and all that. You, unfortunately, this is how my brain works. It instantly <laughs> reminded me of Sister Act. Do you remember when the movie with Goldberg? And like from a leadership point of view, like such a classic leadership lesson when the Sister Mary, whatever her name was, uh, was the the the, the choir sounded horrible, right? And then right. the movie where then she she said, "Well, you think you can do better?" And handed her the the conductor's wand. And then she right. starts with the altos, with the altos and the tenors, and then and all of a sudden, hmm. right? Like beautiful what music, great leadership, like harmony, like everything working in harmony and rhythm, and uh, you know, like, and that when you think about like the, what you learn from playing a band, the, one of the things I just love about your story is you're talking all about the 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 the, the skills we learn without realizing we're learning the skills, right? You know, like that trans that skills transformation, like how can you be a great leader because you played in a band? Well, you learned how all things work together and how to create harmony and rhythm and to produce amazing things and, uh, and, 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 you know, which part needs to play when and like all these things that exactly. you would think that you wouldn't, but that's all part of leadership. It's about organizing teams and, you know, getting everyone's unique talents and abilities lined up and allowing them to be the best that they can be and allow them to express themselves. And I, I just loved all that. That was all just, my brain's just going, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I could tell you, honestly, I haven't had to tell my like entire life story in a while. So I was trying to decide what I was going to share with you. Well, so. that was a, that was a, that was a great point. So thank you for sharing that. And I love that, that learn to love learning. Like, cause a lot of people, especially when we leave school, right? We think, oh, finally, we don't have to learn anymore when we don't even realize that the learning is just beginning. Right. And, Absolutely. and I think having a relationship in, in this sense, like you're talking about learning to love learning. I wish everyone listening to that here, please fall in love with learning, right? Because the day you stop learning is the day you start dying. Yeah, stop growing. All yeah, you of stop that growing. Stuff. So when you stop growing, then you're just going to start dying, right? So mm -hmm. to me, that's if you just keep keep moving forward. I thought that was really powerful. And much like yourself, when I my you were in accounting, but I was in banking and finance. Um, so. Mm -hmm. um, and what I always did is like, I wanted to learn as much as I could in the job in the first year, second year, perform at the highest level in the job. And then the third year, teach it to somebody else. 
you must have been re you must have heard me say that before because I've been asked the question often like how long is too long to stay in a job or how quickly should you move through jobs and that's like you know ideally and I didn't get the chance to do this a lot but if I could do it over again I would have stayed in each job at least three years for that very reason <laughs> that very reason that was always yeah. my thing. people ask me like what do you like how do you move have you moved up the like as I moved up the corporate ladder reasonably well mm -hmm. and I said my philosophy was simple learn the heck out of the job the first year, perform the heck out of it the second year and teach the heck out of it the third year. And while yeah. I'm teaching, I can free myself up to go and I have a replacement because too, too many people in organizations, like knowledge is, is power, so share it. Whereas, you know, we're too many people hoard it and then they create bottlenecks and, right. and they're afraid. And then they wonder why they don't get promoted because they're not of value because they're not actually able to help other people. Right, So absolutely. Yeah, so I loved, I loved all that. Um, uh, that's fantastic. And obviously there's all the sports and everything like that. So you, yeah, you've been in leadership your whole life. Um, and I love the, 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 the entrepreneur part, like, um, gosh, we're like kindred spirits. I swear the, uh, <laughs> like I've been an entrepreneur my whole life too. Like I, I delivered newspapers. I had, did a milk run. I did that too. I yeah, forgot yeah. I did that. <laughs> that was my very, very first job. You know, yeah. uh, I was blessed with my parents not having a lot of money. And, and I say that I was blessed with it because it, if I wanted something and, you know, my parents would have loved to have given me whatever they could give me, which they did unconditional love and all the important things in life. But I had to learn that one thing they did give me is learn how the ability to, to generate money and how to do things for other people and be rewarded, re, you know, remunerated for it. If, if I wanted something, we, we used to go around on the days and we'd collect all the bike parts that people would throw out and then we'd come back and we'd build, take all the bikes, you know, 50 bike parts and build 10 bikes and put the bikes for sale, you know, mm -hmm. and then made money and it was people throwing away, but we, we just had to do the work. Right. So it was, uh, right. yeah. And, and I learned that nothing happens without doing the work. Absolutely. That, that, that's one, one principle that my parents drilled into me. They's like, if you want something and you're willing to work for it, you can have it. So yeah. my parents, you know, we weren't, you know, we weren't poor, but we weren't rich, but they, they taught us great principles, period, that they gave us a lot of what we needed mm. and they made us work for the things we wanted. So we yeah. quickly been able to distinguish between needs and wants. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, and you just highlighted another point there without maybe realizing it, is that is this argument between nurturing leadership and naturing of nature of leadership, right? Like I, I would say I was nature, nature, I was blessed with great parenting. So I, mm -hmm. I was blessed that. So that certainly helped me, but leadership is something that you can, we should be nurturing, right? And whether it's, you know, uh, my dad, big volunteer in his life. My mom was a phenomenal leader of our family. Um, and, but I look at that, you know, my dad did a lot of volunteer work, Rotary, JCs, all these sort of community organizations and leadership through supporting community work. Um, and so watching him as a role model and everything like that was great. Plus thought to be just a good person to be nice to other people and help other people before helping yourself and all that. So I had right. great nature, if you like, but then that was also part nurture. Um, and then I was nurtured beautifully in the organization, uh, had one gentleman who I speak about in my book, John McGinnis. And he, he was like the first person to see something in me that I didn't see in myself, uh, you know, outside of my parents that, uh, and was mm -hmm. a phenomenal mentor for me. Um, and then nurtured my leadership. Right. Um, and like, so, you know, just, it's, and there's some people there who didn't have great parenting and it doesn't mean they can't become a great leader. That to me, 
you know, it's, uh, it's our job as leaders to nurture other new leaders. And you've talked about, you know, like even the work that you're doing today to, for the generations that are coming through, you know, people like you and I have a responsibility and obligation almost to ensure that they, they understand what leadership's all about. Right. There's plenty of other examples out there that aren't, which, uh, which really is <laughs> a bad state of affairs, which we won't get too much into that right now. Um, right. One of the, um, so, so what are some of the, well, before I jump into a couple of core questions, what is, so taking all that, what, how much of that is in the book, Heartbeat Leadership, and, and why is it called Heartbeat? And um, just help me to understand a little bit more, and because like, I see in the, there, empower yourself, engage your team, impact your organization, you use words, every word that I use, engage, empower, inspire, involve, evolve, sorry, you know, it's, so talk to me, like, what, what's the premise of Heartbeat Leadership? So the premise of heartbeat leadership, again, is that people are at the center, you know, leadership at the end of the day is not defined by positions and titles, it's, it's defined by your ability to influence. So in my opinion, everyone has a responsibility to lead from where they are. Um, and so I wrote the book, obviously, more from my, you know, my experience in corporate America. So I don't talk as much about the entire life story as I gave you today. Yeah, yeah. But I do talk about leadership in the context of what I experienced in corporate America, what I saw, what I saw was effective, what I saw was ineffective. And I wanted to provide a roadmap. I was often asked, you know, several times, like, well, how did you manage to keep such a focus on people and deliver results. You know, I run into leaders many times that feel like that's an or that I, if I really drive results, I can't possibly do all this focusing on developing people and giving feedback and coaching. And if I do all this coaching and giving feedback and developing, I couldn't possibly have enough time to make sure the results happen. And I argue that you've got to do them both and at the same time. And so um, people like, well, how do you really do that? And so you know, I started really reflecting on that question. I was like, well, gosh, how did I do it? So I started really looking back at some of my most difficult leadership challenges and said, you know, how was I able to kind of shift through this thing, still move and evolve results forward, but bring people along with me? And so I created this framework called the six pulses, which is a play on kind of the heartbeat and the heart analogy. And um, I provide six six steps and they're not necessarily sequential but there's six areas that you need to look at it's priorities it's preparation it's people it's processes it's performance and it's promotion and i talk about those six um, uh, components under the context of if you're not leading a team of people you still need to be empowering yourself because the highest form of leadership i'm a huge john maxwell fan is leadership, uh, the highest form of leadership is self-leadership. So if you don't lead yourself well, you have no chance of leading other people well. And yeah. then if you are a leader of teams, you know, how do you really engage them and bring them along with you? And at the end of the day, when we're in business, we're there to drive results. So how do you then impact your organization? So that's why I break them up into those three, you know, subtitles so that there's something in there for everyone, no matter where you are in your stage of leadership journey. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh... And I, you know, it's isn't it interesting how people like it's an it's a this or it's a one or the other, not both. When the, you right. know, and I know that looking at your stuff, it's you know, and even in your your bio, as it talks about that, you know, you're going to get results and and solve problems through or with people. It's like people are the ones right. who do that. It's um, yeah. So why why would you think that you how how would you expect to drive results that you're capable of driving without? helping your people be the best version of themselves so they can do their life's best work while they're in your care and beyond. 
Yeah, I, I don't know to be honest, but <laughs> I, 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 sit down, I just I just shake my head and think, well, hang on, like just just repeat back to me what you just said. Like, it, like does that right. make sense to you? Like, you it's either, it's aura. They're like, what drives the result? Well, like, who, like, like, I know it's customers. Well, then who serves the customers? Okay, great. Then who does? Right. Yeah, and if if you have your people doing this and they're achieving that, and you want to achieve this, the only way to get your people there's only two ways to get your people to achieve this new level of performance. One is either work them harder and longer than they've ever worked before. And burn them out or help them become more better mm -hmm. yeah and exactly. that means coaching or helping and caring about them as human beings and um one of my uh, and i loved your um you know you talk about you know uh, people first or that one of my uh, clients i have here down in australia is uh, quantum hr and they're they're uh, an hr company but they're human resources not humans as resources they're, it's resources mm -hmm. for humans and their whole mission is to help uh, organizations to um, think and act human first right and like it's just so powerful when you think of it in that context you know um, uh, and, and I'm glad there's, there's books like yours that are out there that people can read and hopefully inspire them to uh, remember that leadership's all about people right I'm big on definitions because I think sometimes we toss words around kind of without really thinking about what they really mean and we use them and we're not necessarily using them in the right yeah. context. So, you know, your yeah. human resource analogy is a great one. Um, yeah. Leadership, one of those words, um, strategy, execution, yeah. you know, all of them. Well, you used a really interesting word to me, which I love, which is influence. Mm -hmm. and, and so how do you define influence? Influence is the ability to get to get someone else to do what you're what you're trying to get done rallying people around you to achieve a common goal um you know in, influencing is different than dictating yeah um it's different than making people do things influencing is around helping people see the why helping them see the benefit for what they're doing and how it benefits them too not just it's always a win-win or should be a win-win um, and rallying people around a common goal. And what I found is that when you rally people around a common goal, they understand their role and how they fit into it. And they really understand the why and the bigger purpose. Nine times out of 10 people get on board. Of course, you always have that one out of 10 that you know just doesn't get it and that's fine. They need to go somewhere else. Okay. Um, but influencing is more, I call that more long-term than people just doing what you tell them to do. It's more yeah. sustainable. Um, you can replicate performance when you're influencing versus dictating or making people do things that they don't believe in. Um, yeah. So I, that word influence to me just has a more positive impact. Yeah. It's a great word. I just love it. And the reason I ask is when you talk about the definitions of words and things like that, to yes. me, I love the etymology or the root of the words where they all came from in the beginning. And a lot yes. of the, the words that, that we use today, I, I, well, hang on, do you know what that actually means? And, and, and beautiful description for me like influence is into flow fluence is the latin derivative of the word fluid or flow so mm -hmm. leadership is about influence about helping people get into flow you're in flow when you're in flow state you're at your best right so when right. everything's flowing and so our job is to help people get into flow right. and that's what Not influence chaos. is <laughs> yeah and that's what influence is so when when we're, we we, we want to help influence others well it's our job to help them get into flow state to be perform at their highest level and right. if that's through the inspiring why and, and the vision of the world and all these other things we can use to influence um or use influence uh with with the people to help them achieve things that they never thought possible um right I, I just think it's such a really cool word um but totally 
misinterpreted in many ways because influence can be seen in many cases as you know manipulating or you're trying to influence them into something and it's um but it's such a strong powerful positive word right um, especially well, if you understand the root of the word and what it means yeah i mean it's just like anything you can turn anything that's meant good you can make it bad right yeah just like anything that's bad you can make it good good so <laughs> it's all in how you choose to use it at the end yeah. of the day they yeah absolutely yeah, like discipline. Most people think the, these people need to be disciplined. Well, discipline means training. Yes. Right? It really and does. It comes from the words disciples, right? As you would say. So, right. and people who would follow. Um, um, but perceivably, if you're disciplining somebody, it's seen as a bad thing. If you're disciplining your child, um, depending on the methodology which you're using, but it's right. just training. Training is for correction. It's for correction. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Speaking of words and definitions, um, this being the Evolution of Business show, one of the things that, that, that I challenge a lot of leaders on, and I'd love to get your take on it, Don, is um, the difference between growth and evolution. There's so much talk about, you know, grow your business, grow yourself, business growth, everything like that, which, which I get, and growth is great. But many, many organizations, and you would have seen this in, in the US, have grown into obscurity or irrelevance or faded away into the sunset because they were just focused on growing and growing, but they didn't evolve. Um, and so how do, you, how do you define the difference between growing and evolving? And if you have any examples in that space, whatever, that'd be great. Wow. I mean, that's a, it's a great question. Um, let's see. So I think I would describe the difference. So I would describe growing as more of an individual, it could be individual organizational, but it's moving from one level to the next level. It's learning new information. It's, um, it's, it's hard to describe. Um, yeah. it, it's really hard to describe. It's a great yeah. question. Thank you. Um, That's why I ask it. It's fascinating. Yeah, I know. Like, okay, let me, let, me, let me think about this for a second. I, I kind of in my head know what I want to say. I'm trying to pick the right words. So I think, <laughs> so I'll use growing, um, you know, like, like all of us were born as babies, right? We yep. all grew kind of mm -hmm. naturally, right? We were going to grow regardless. That's right. Um, in terms of size, in terms of intellect, in terms of you know, being able to speak, walk, those types of things. Yep. I think of evolution of, it's a step function change. It's, it's, it's almost growth with a purpose. In other words, you, you mentioned, you know, you can grow and then not be, not be relevant at the end of the day. So it's kind of taking an external look at what's going on and meeting those demands, those trends and understanding yeah. where things are going. Um, sometimes growth is a byproduct, but it doesn't necessarily, it's growth in the right places. So yes. I think I'd say, you know, you can grow yep. by, by, you know, just by sheer chance of growing, but evolution, I think requires more intentionality, um, more purposeful, and a, it, it requires you to really pay attention to what's going on around you. Yeah, and great. You may have to really reinvent yourself. Yeah, and I think and that, that's awesome. Um, and I love that, like, when you think about us as human beings, we're just going to grow. Like we, to me, grow, growth is just do, either doing more or being more of what you already are. Just more, more, mm -hmm. more, right? Whereas evolution is either increasing capacity, capabilities, which they talk about that intention and, and your mm -hmm. ability to adapt. You know, if you look at Darwinism or theories of Darwin, at least where it's not the strongest, the fastest, the fittest, the smartest that, that survive, it's the most able to adapt to the ever-changing environment are the ones that survive. Right. And us as human exactly. beings have evolved uh, you know, with, with the way everything changes, we've we've been able to adapt to that. So that to me is more evolution where growth is us just, we just keep growing, right? It's doing more with more. 
whereas evolution could be doing more with less or equal or um, because we've increased capacity or capabilities. But to me, it's also about evolving to stay relevant because you can evolve just for the sake of evolving. But if it doesn't allow you to stay relevant in the hearts and minds of the people that you choose to serve, then, you know, and what are you doing for? Yeah. Yeah. And if we keep evolution as a natural state of business, as it is to us as human beings, you'll have growth phases in that journey of evolution. But if you're just right. growing, you could grow into obscurity or irrelevance. And many businesses um, did that. I didn't, like even just with the digital transformation in the world, we can look at so many cases over the years. Um, and which is why I, I, this whole show is about the evolution of business. Because if you even look at your own business three years ago, you've been in business now for three years, I think from what you're saying, you started. So your business three years ago that you started on, is it the same business that you have today? Is everything the exact uh, same? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. And in the next three years, is it going to be the same as what it is today? No. <laughs> no, because business no, is a series of evolutions. Absolutely. Right. It's and you'll have growth phases within those. Um, and that's, that's certainly the, the message the, that I hope this show helps people to understand that growth is good, but on the back of evolution is better. Because um, right. we're not constantly evolving. Like cause some of the businesses that don't exist today had their best year the, day, the year before they went broke. Right. I think, it, yeah, you're def again, we go back to definitions, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> growth yeah. is usually good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, see, and growth is, it is good. And there's it's nothing good. wrong with yeah. it. I just, but when we right. only have a growth mindset, the problem with the mindset is that it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. And then it means it's not open to, it's set on growing. But exactly. I want you to have a, your mind set on evolving and growing, on evolving and growing, and evolving and growing. Where, like, exactly. So, um, hands versus yours. Yeah. So let's talk about you as a person. Then, when do you recall, or would please share with us, um, you know, what your most memorable personal evolution when you've evolved um, as a as a person, as a human being, or you could be in one of your leadership roles. Is more about you rather than business at the moment. Yeah. Wow. I would say I probably grew the most as a person when, when I became evolved the most, not grow the most. Yeah. When Involved the most. Evolved the most is when I became a parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. You know, totally different <laughs> ball game yeah. than just leading and managing yourself, and and now you have a family to mm. to uh, steward and help them, you know, grow and evolve as well. Mm. Um, so that was a that was a big transition, um, you know, because you have other people, truly other people you're responsible for that are with you. I won't say twenty four seven, but you're in the same four walls the majority of the time. So yeah. it's well, they no are longer about four seven, usually at, at yes. the very, very later days. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that was, that have been a, uh, you know, the most memorable personal, personal evolution. And then from a business perspective, yeah. what was your, uh, could I be would say you worked in or your own business. It's up to you. Yeah. I would, I'll, I'll give both. How's that? So in corporate America, my business, my biggest evolution was making the transition from, uh, to leading other leaders. That was a huge transition. Like it's one thing to lead, you know, other frontline individuals and individual contributors. It was a whole different ball game to lead other leaders. Um, and that's when you, that's when I really, you know, made the step function change on understanding, you know, the power of coaching and feedback and what developing others really look like because your influence to that leader had so much more impact because they're leading others and people tend to do what people see. So I had a greater responsibility to lead well because they're going to take my lead on how they lead their teams. And so yeah. that that really opened my eyes to the real power of leadership and influencing through others. 
um, and, and being able to drive results through multiple layers um, in an organization. And sometimes when you do things wrong, what that impact looks like, but when you get it right, it's, it's, it's amazing as well. So I would say that was my biggest evolution in corporate. So, wait, so just and on that, before you jump on the, 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 when you were leading those direct reports, if you want, how many people mm -hmm. were in that team, for example? Um, it varied. So about 12. Okay, 12. About and then when you were leading the leaders, how many leaders were you leading? Three. <laughs> and this is a point on like, it's all of a sudden it's, you know, what you think, well, I'm leading more people and I'm leading 12. But then when you're now the leader of three leading the 12 or each of them having right. their own 12, yeah, um, right. you have less to lead, but more impact to create. Absolutely. And more influence Absolutely. to, you know, more flow to create. Um, it's quite fascinating when you think like, you know, it, it, the, the, the responsibility and the, the, because all of a sudden you're one layer removed technically from the, the 12, but you have significant impacts on 36 plus the three. Yeah. And it, it, it was, it was one of those situations where you really had to really think about the implications of everything you're mm. about to say everything you're about to do and how that translates through each level, right? And how yep. you ensure what's intended here actually gets down to the lowest level yep. to the point where you can execute, right? So I talk about a lot, how do you close that gap between strategy and execution? And, and many times it's because of all these layers that are in between. And if you have ineffective leadership in between, no wonder why the strategy is not being translated to best in class execution at the lowest levels. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So sorry, uh, just to me, it was just, it's a really interesting point that some people don't realize like, oh, be leader of leaders actually, but you're leading less, but impacting more. And it's, um, and it's a bigger challenge when you think we've only got three people, come on. It's, you had 12 before, you've only got three now. Walk in the park. Yeah, it's yeah. all about that direct connection. You don't have that direct connection to the lowest common denominator of execution yeah. yep. as you move up the ladder, so. Yeah, so sorry. So that was from a business. And was there actually a physical when the business actually evolved? Was there a, uh, like uh, from an actual physical, like that you've, your evolution in business, I understand. Was there, uh, do you remember a time or anything where one of the businesses made a massive evolution? Could be one of the ones you work for, even just your own business in the last three years. How has it had a big evolution? Yeah, I would tell you, <laughs> I would tell you COVID has forced, forced a lot of evolution, whether yeah. you're ready for it or not. You know, so I don't care what business you're in and mine personally has evolved even in the last six months just yep. due to COVID. I had some level of, um, you know, virtual um, business, but had to convert very quickly, pretty much to 100% um, online business. The second big evolution for me was, you know, I kind of had resisted a little bit of all the social media and online presence. And I had kind of been working it through my personal network, which I was seeing people all the time. Yeah. I had to quickly evolve and, and really step up the game from an online presence standpoint to the point where I really dug deep into learning more about digital marketing and what it really means and how to effectively use it. I didn't want to, to be yeah. quite honest, with you, but <laughs> I knew it was necessary if I'm going to survive, which many businesses did not yep. during COVID because maybe they didn't evolve or there could be a myriad of reasons. But I in order for me to continue to evolve and grow um, as planned that I had to pivot and make some 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 big decisions upon how I was going to show up um, yeah. through this time frame. So yeah. this will probably be my biggest experience with evolution in my own personal business just through the COVID time frame. Yeah, fantastic. And, and I think you once again raised such a valid point that 
um, a lot of people probably knew they needed to eventually and you know go digital and all that you know what's going to um, like to me that's not a, that, that is definitely something we should digitizing our distribution and our way we handle things um, different slightly different to me in terms of what a pivot is like a different market different thing but certainly digitizing and we businesses do need to pivot and look at different markets and who they're serving um, but it has all been forced and thrust upon many people even even mm -hmm. my business everything was already capable of being done online part of what i do with right. my clients is weekly accountability is already online anyway um, but mm -hmm. the monthly coaching and doing the culture and strategy work that I do and helping them create the alignment and um, that was never, it was always one of the things, no, 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 it needs to be done face to face. It's far more this online stuff. It's, um, but then we had to find a way and uh, right. now I can, which I could always before deliver mm -hmm. digitally. Um, I've always embraced social media anyway, uh, but that, that part of it was fine for me, but the whole digitizing some parts of it, I had to get, um, like even for me to help me with my own evolution and, and a thought process, I've got a buddy of mine who's kind of like a science brain and I've got another buddy of mine who's a uh, artistic brain and I got mm -hmm. them and said, here's my process. How do I create? And so I got the scientist and the artist together to help me understand how to develop and evolve my offering to what it is today. Right. Um, and to me, like that's, that's evolution. <clears throat> like I could have just done more and done more online, but I also wanted to evolve the way I deliver and how it's all done and the setup and uh, and getting that art mind and science mind all working together for me was was one of the right. biggest things I ever did, which was so powerful. Yes. Um, so let's talk about the future. So you've been in business for three years. I mean, you, with all your vast experience and everything like that, all this stuff, we're, we're in this whatever pandemic, post pandemic, who knows what part of the, we could be in the eye of the storm pandemic. <laughs> Um, irrelevant. Uh, we're in uncertain times. Yes. And uh, everything's happening faster than we ever thought it would. And it, like, stuff is being forced and thrust upon us. Someone with your vast experience and wisdom, Don, what are you looking at or looking for or predicting or seeing in terms of the future from a leadership team's working business in all this uncertainty? I'd love to get your wisdom and yeah, so I mean, some of this is, you know, the obvious, I think the, you know, working remotely and working more online and digitally where we're not seeing people in person is going to continue to mm -hmm. to evolve and probably be here to stay. Um, yep. I don't think we'll ever return back to what I would call normal way we conduct business. Um, secondly, I think from a skills perspective, and it kind of is connected that you know, people are going to really, really, really need to be able to hone their ability to communicate and influence and sell, um, you know, without being able to shake a hand and sit in a, in a meeting room. Um, mm. And so you're going to have to cut through all the clutter. People are going to be, are going to be so used to kind of this digital fatigue piece. Those who can cut through all of that quickly, concisely, and capture people's attention, you know, in the short attention spans that we have already, are those that are going to continue to win. And then I think lastly, you know, we talked about learning in the very beginning. Yeah. It's, it's going to be critical if you're going to stay relevant, that learning has got to be a critical part of, you know, each individual's agenda because the pace of information, the rate at which things change, the fact that customers and consumers are doing things much differently, those that can continue to reinvent themselves and stay up with all the trends will continue to win. And those that don't, I think, unfortunately, will be left um, behind. 
Um, and then the last thing that I think, and this is near and dear to my heart, um, and it's, this may be more relevant in the U.S. than maybe you've experiencing, you know, in Australia. But you know, given all that's happened in 2020, from the pandemic to we've had a lot of social unrest here, we've got economic challenges here. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, for me, I'm excited to work with companies to, you know, really have this conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because whether they want to or not, you can't you can't hide anymore. It's really front and center. And so organizations that are willing to have the tough conversations and to uh, hit this head on will continue to thrive. And those that don't, I think, will be left behind. Um, yeah. And we then have I think last, that down here, I assure you. Yeah. And yeah. I think lastly, you know, from a corporation perspective, you're going to really have to figure out how to keep people engaged, how to keep people focused on the right priorities and marching in the same direction to achieve, you know, business results. Business results are still going to be here to stay, but how you get them, how you replicate them, how you make them sustainable are going to be even more challenged because you can't, you can't do it the traditional way. Um, yeah. So leadership, learning, and engagement are going to be critical as we continue to move forward. Absolutely. And, and leaders ability to keep their, uh, their stethoscope on the six pulses. Yes, yes. And I, and, and you know what, it's funny you should say that because I've been asked that question too. He's like, okay, because I started this book obviously before COVID. Yep. And so the question was, you know, is are the six pulses still relevant today, post COVID as it was pre COVID? And I'm like, absolutely. In fact, I would argue they're more important now because before you could touch and feel people, you know, yep. and see them pop at the water cooler. Now yep. you have even more virtual teams. And yep. so I think it's important that leaders have a way and a framework to really think about how they're spending their time and how do they keep literally the pulse on what's going on in, uh, with individuals on their teams. Yeah, and I think that's such a powerful point that you've raised there, Dawn. Like this, you know, distributed working, whether it's part remote, part, you know, it'll be, could be a blend of everything, right? I'll just call it distributed working. It was something I heard someone say, I think, yeah, that's a really cool phrase for it to be. It'd be like some days you're in the office, some days you're at the cafe, some days you're at home, be just distribute working but, but how do we still make people feel the sense of culture and that they're part of something and that keep them engaged right. in the work that they're doing and, and this is going to be I think one of the largest challenges from a leadership point of view is how do you create that feeling or, or sense of belonging um, mm -hmm. when everybody's working from everywhere um, you know I'm, 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 I'm uh, if you know I'm the um, ambassador for the Pacific region for the global company culture association and Mm -hmm. Even with that, like even the Global Company Culture Association, we can't think of culture as a company thing only anymore. Like as a, it, it's very, um, that, that's segregated in terms of like people are on the train or the buses or doing whatever they're on, they're doing emails or answering calls and stuff on the way to and from work. They're working in hours at home. Or doing, like it's an integration now, not a separation of, um, you know, culture anymore. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to see going forward so a lot of those things you raise are going to be well, all of those things you raise are going to be absolutely critical yes. um, to capture and you know engage the best talent in the world. But the, also the beauty is now we can source people from anywhere in the world, which kind of right. But because now, like I, I, you know, as a Canadian, I'm living here in Australia. I, I could have a team in Canada who's working on stuff for for our clients. So I go to bed at night. I wake up in the morning. Everything's there, and because they've been working on it through the night, which is their day. Like how, how, you know, the, we have a global talent pool. We have, 
you know, the ability to serve people from anywhere and find people to serve people from anywhere, you know, excluding if you're a cafe and you need a barista and you need whatever, you know, I get it. Um, okay, so one last question for you, Don, before I let you go. And it's a random question. Uh -oh. uh, I always ask a random question. I have numbers from one to 31 and beside each one is a question. So you just get to pick a number from one to 31 and whatever number you choose, I'll read out that question, but you have to answer it. Okay, let's see here. I'm gonna go with uh, 14 because my 14. youngest son is 14. Oh, okay, this will be interesting. So 14, <laughs> who is your superhero persona and why? Oh my gosh, who's my superhero persona and yes, why? So Dawn was- That, is, that, that is definitely my younger son's question. Yeah. <laughs> so, superhero, so literal superhero yeah, persona. Your superhero persona, yes. Like if, if I'm gonna Dawn say Wonder Woman. Which I'm, one of the super, sorry? I'm gonna say Wonder Woman. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. And I why? And the other says, and and, don't say and why. It's not adding another and question. Why? You know, I like Wonder Woman because I think she she still maintained femininity through her superpowers. She was able to interact with all the other male superheroes recently yeah. in some of the movies and, and still not lose who she was. And kick um, and, ass. <laughs> right. And she was well-respected. Um, she did great work. And um, that's why. And she, awesome. she had great impact. And you know what? The other cool thing about Wonder Woman, and it's a really great choice, because of all the DC movies, Wonder Woman was probably the best movie that they created of all the individual characters and all that sort right. of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, uh, I think, you know, we're in a world today and uh, where I think the world needs more feminine energy in terms of in leadership, whether it's women or, or but more feminine energy, the masculine, and someone like that who can still bring that strength and power and poise and grace and everything that, that we, we we're sadly lacking in the world today from a leadership point of view, I think, which is, um, so I'm glad that right. Wonder Dawn, Wonder Woman <laughs> Kirk is around <laughs> with her culture shield to protect. Right. <laughs> and the golden lasso to get everyone to tell the truth. Exactly. Yes, it is. It's awesome. Um, Dawn, if uh, people want to learn more about you, they want to get hold of your book, please, where can they, what's the best way to get hold of you? Um, where can they go find your book? Yes. Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me and, and to be able to order the book would be go to heartbeatleadershipbook.com. So you can download a free chapter just to get a sample of it. You can order it. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, kind of all of your um, distribution outlets. And then if you'd like to just talk to me for a free 30 minute consultation about your greatest leadership challenge, I'd love to do that as well. You can fill out awesome. the form at the bottom. Yeah. And what we'll do is I'll put right down below here where all those, uh, on uh, the video, we'll put all that uh, where you can just click on it and get hold of Dawn and find out more. Um, I look forward to personally getting a copy of your book um, yes. and reading it. Uh, I'm always fascinated. Is it available on Audible yet? Audio It's going to be in a couple of weeks. Great. It's going to be in a couple of weeks. In fact, you, if you, if you um, just send me your, your contact information, I will send you a free copy just to thank you oh. for this opportunity and time. You oh, don't have to purchase Thank you. And I'll, I'll, I'll gladly reciprocate with the um, <laughs> Mutual Association <laughs> Club here, and I'll send you a copy of a uh, digital copy of uh, my book, Simplify, too, because you'll be going, oh, this guy just wrote everything done. He's like copying me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Thank Don, you. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom with us on the Evolution of Business show. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, 
that I got that email a couple of weeks ago. It's fascinating. And, you know, personally, I really look forward to uh, continuing a dialogue with you, you know, outside of this and learning more about the great work that you're doing, because uh, you, uh, and I know you're going to agree with this statement I'm about to make, is that um, we both have probably have a vision so big that we know we can't achieve it alone. And um, right. that it's going to take all of us to work together to really redefine what leadership's all about and fix this crisis that we have around the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love that. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, so thanks very much, um, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, listening to the Evolution of Business show and uh, look forward to uh, next week's episode when we have our special guest. <gasps> I can't tell you who it is this week. <laughs> this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>